Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at one 800 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Second day moves after a giant rally, they're always predictable and, yes, a little ridiculous. They're all about buying an amalgam of stocks that were missed on day one or stocks of companies that just gave you a new reason to value them higher and stocks that, upon further review, just like in a football game, can now be justified as worth owning. And that's exactly what led us higher today is Dow jumped 164 points. That's going to be game 0.16%. But the Nasdaq, so strong yesterday, advanced by just 0.07%. I think it's worth breaking down today's move because it shows how much people want to own stocks here, buy stocks here. They've just had trouble finding new ideas that fit a scenario where inflation is rapidly cooling and we're coming to the end of the Fed's rate hike cycle. Let's start with Target, and not just because you'll hear from CEO Brian Cornell later in the show, but because its stock was today's biggest winner. Up a magnificent 18%. We all know there's been a relentless levitation to Costco, Walmart, and TJX, the three brick-and-mortar retailers that Wall Street still believes in, along, of course, with Amazon for digital. But money managers don't trust anything else in that industry, and Target specifically is lying behind because it hasn't produced positive same-store sales. That's the key metric that defines real growth in ages. Target's seen as less of a bargain than the four big ones with higher costs and less differentiation than it used to have. Or at least that was the story heading into today. This morning, though, Target reported a quarter that showed bountiful profits, much better than expected, even as the same source sales were still nothing to write home about, and its total revenue was only in line with expectations. Now, none of those negatives matter because the com- company had extremely lean inventories, down 14% year over year at the end of the quarter, meaning they weren't forced to discount lots of merchandise just to get it out of the store, and there was less of a theft problem than a year ago while transport costs had finally returned to normalcy. Even with lighter sales, these positives are fantastic for gross margins, what Wall Street cares about, hence the huge earnings beat, and there should be a lot more of these kinds of quarters ahead. In response, the stock flew straight up, running nearly 20 points. How can that move be justified if Target only posted an earnings beat, not a big revenue beat as well? Simple. People are looking for laggards that perhaps shouldn't be laggards. They're looking for stocks that can play catch up because they are excellent companies that maybe hit some rough patches. Target, for example, hit its high for the year back in the beginning of February. It's when it struck $181. Its all-time high of around $269 was set exactly two years ago today. 
Last night, it closed at 110. Walmart, on the other hand, traded in the mid-140s the beginning of February, and now it's just under 170. TJX is going from 80 to 89. Costco rallied from 500 to nearly 600. Amazon, 100 to 143. See, big-time money managers look at those comparisons. Believe me, that's what they have on their desk. And they say, wow, is Target behind? Let's buy it now. Buy, 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 buy. And maybe it solves its sales problems. No matter what. It's a bargain relative to earnings. It's a bargain relative to those companies, especially if the Fed's done tightening. I think that is a compelling argument, really. Even up here at $130, it is a bargain versus the others. Of course, there are a host of other reasons why Target works here. 3.4% yield looks a lot more attractive if the Fed's not going to raise interest rates anymore by a Treasury bond comparison. If inflation continues to cool down, consumers will have much more money to spend. And in the time since Target went out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, the company solidified its partnerships with Ulta for beauty products, CVS for drugs, and Starbucks for libations. Lots of these store-within-a-store concepts that make the shopping experience much more enticing. That coalition gives people reason to pay up for the stock when it otherwise might seem foolhardy. That's called second-day behavior. Here's another example. There's nothing like a foreign leader visiting the United States to get people to buy things. I doubt much will come from President Xi's visit with President Biden in San Francisco. But it gives you a whole new perspective on what some stocks that were left behind or even left for dead, stocks that will do better when the Chinese economy has a pulse. We had our monthly conference call for Investing Club today, and we had to mention that Estee Lauder has been a big loser for the Travel Trust. But you know what? Estee Lauder does a lot of business in China. The stock had a big move yesterday in anticipation of the Chinese move and then meeting and then followed it again with another rally today because it's one of the most behind-the-market stocks out there. See, back in February, Lauder traded at $280. That's when there was still hope that the China economy would come back online with a vengeance. When that didn't happen and instead we got a real estate collapse, Estee Lauder stock plummeted to 104 at its lows a couple of weeks ago. That's an astounding, almost unthinkable decline for such an iconic company with name brand management. Of course, we have no idea if anything good's happening here, but after that much capital destruction, it doesn't even matter. The stock had a second-day bounce written all over it, hence why it rallied another 3% today after a large run yesterday. Who else goes on a roll when China's back? Well, of course, that's Nike. Again, here's a stock that's terribly behind the market, even though any portfolio manager can rationalize buying it pretty much any day of the week. Remember, in this racket, the professionals are always trying to justify their existence and their high fees. They need to show value added. Buying some Nike off of a flaw, uh, you know, some sort of flaw in China, well, that works every time. Some stocks that bounce today fit several silos. For example, Disney stock's been on a tear since late October. First, the stock simply got too cheap. It was just beaten down. Then it rallied because the company reported better than expected quarter management announcing $2.2 billion in cost cuts on top of $5.5 billion they'd already committed to. Great streaming numbers, and they said the streaming business could be profitable by late next year, something that would further justify Disney's move to buy the rest of Hulu from Comcast, parent of this network. Now, Disney also has a huge and often forgotten about Chinese business that can only be helped by Xi's visit. Certainly can't hurt. Then today we learned that Value Act, a stunningly good pseudo-activist hedge fund, is building a stake in the company. Value Act has been an excellent source of outside ideas and can be a real catalyst for management. That maybe even includes finding a successor to current CEO Bob Iger. So we have a new reason to look at Disney, and we have a news that justified paying for more. I'm calling that one a twofer. Finally, some stocks were simply forgotten about, and with inflation cooling, they can easily justify this place on a better economy that comes from lower rates and a friendly Fed. You know, the transports, 
All aboard. They can always rely upon this in this environment. I think United uh, Parcel, uh, Union Pacific, FedEx. These stocks can be just slotted into your portfolio here, especially because we're near the holidays. Target's talking about buying newness. Lululemon's always new. Ralph Lauren's got newness. These work real well. They can't be proven wrong for the moment because there are no new data points that would possibly cause a glitch. Maybe they're foolproof through the end of the year. I want to emphasize that there is nothing wrong with this kind of thinking. I know I made it sound glib, but there's nothing wrong. I just want to teach you to anticipate this kind of thinking. And there is absolutely, let's say, uh, fair play to notice the profit taking we saw in big cap tech, too, especially after this evening's disappointment in both Cisco and Palo Alto Networks reports. Now, we've got the CEOs of both companies on tonight. We've got to find out what really happened, not the headlines, but what really happened. The bottom line, today's session shows people are itching to get into this market in the worst way. And sometimes the worst way is just knock on wood and buy anything that's falling behind. It's what you do when you've missed the big move. And if you are a professional, it's how you demonstrate why you are worth Paying for Robert in New York. Robert, Jim, I gotta tell you, you definitely have our back, and I have become pretty good at this by listening to you. Number one, oh, okay. Thank you. I, I gotta tell you this. I really do. I'd like to know if you are firm on a firm holdings. Okay, I talked about this with Ben Stoto today, uh, who works with me, research director, and we said without a doubt, I said, I think a firm has turned the corner. They would say they never had to turn any corner. It's been a straight line. But I thought this quarter was a remarkable quarter, and they demonstrate how to be able to lend in what many people think is a dicier environment. A firm's for real. All right. Today's action shows me that people are really interested to get back into this market, even in doing it in the worst way. This second day, by buying the laggers and hoping for a catch-up trade. Oh, man, buddy, tell three big stories. Target really hit the mark. Whoa, this quarter. Stock surging nearly 18% today. What drove the strength? I'm digging into the numbers. Give me a little preview about the holiday season. Then Palo Alto Networks reported after Bell, and the street right now doesn't seem to know what to think other than maybe to sell. Let's talk to the CEO, figure it out. And Cisco plummeted this evening on the company's earnings report. Well, really much more on its forecast. And I'm making sense of what's going on here with the CEO, Chuck Robbins. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Looks like rumors of retail's demise have been greatly exaggerated. And that's one of my takeaways from the beaten down stock of Target, which surged nearly 18% today in response to a much better than expected quarter. Now, you don't get that kind of earnings rally unless the expectations coming into the quarter are ridiculously low, given that Target stock had plunged from $269 at its peak two years ago to $110 yesterday. People weren't expecting much. I think this quarter showed that the market was wrong to count Target out because it's always been a superb merchant with unique private label goods and a sense of newness that never, well, gets old. While the top line wasn't what I wanted, Target delivered a monster 63-cent earnings beat off a buck 47 basis. This story is about massive margin improvement and a return to what I'd actually describe as normalcy, even in an uncertain environment. So is this the start of a more sustained recovery? Let's check in with Brian Cornell. He's the chairman and CEO of Target. You had a better sense of the quarter and how about the holiday season and next year. Mr. Cornell, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be here. What a beautiful new set. Oh, thank you, Brian. Yeah, I love the way that we have decorated it with some beautiful Target merchandise. This is what I'm talking about, about newness. You're doing a lot in the stores that we haven't seen before. Well, it's been a really great day for our brand, Jim, a great day for the team, and hopefully a great day for shareholders. And newness plays a big part of it. So you know, we're excited about the progress we delivered in the third quarter, and there's more to come. And I think today was a really important demonstration of the durability of our model and our ability to grow our profits despite some weakness on the top line. Right. Now, throughout your conference call, when I speak with you, you are, uh, I would say, preternaturally cautious given the fact that there are costs that people, particularly people on Wall Street, frankly, you're down here, may not even understand. It just costs a lot more to be alive right now. Well, you heard me talk about the fact that if I compare pricing to pre-pandemic, not just for Target, but across the retail industry, you know, food and beverage prices are up on average 25% versus pre-pandemic. So those have put some real pressure on the consumer's wallet. They've had to make some tough choices. If you're a parent right now with a baby, it's costing you 30% more than it did pre-pandemic for baby food and formula. So it's forcing consumers to step back. They're on a budget. They're shopping carefully. But they're still spending, Jim. And I think it's one of the things we should talk about. I mean, we delivered $25 billion of sales in the third quarter. We're on track to deliver over $100 billion of revenue for the full year. And while there's opportunities for us to continue to accelerate our top line growth, half of our business and half of that revenue is still coming from discretionary categories, right. apparel and home and hardline. So, they're still buying those categories. We'll generate over $50 billion of sales in those categories. And some of those discussions are yours, your your label, which I regard as a premium product, even over branding. Well, I think it's what makes us really distinct in the business. 
It's that combination of our own brands, our great national brands, and then some of those partnerships that I know you love to talk about. Sure do. You know, if we took, we're in a store together, we'd be taking a walk right now, and we could see the partnerships, our own brands, our national brands come to life. And if you walk into a Target store today, the first thing you see is Starbucks. Right. It's been a great partnership for us, and I've known their new CEO, Lachman, <laughs> for a long time. Right. But one of the first things our team has done together is now take that great in-store experience out to the drive-up lane. Right. So if you pull in our lane, I can get your favorite pumpkin spice product and walk it right out to your car. And it's early days. We're bringing 100,000 orders out every week. So it's a great partnership. In food and beverage, Jim, Good & Gather, a brand we launched right. just before the pandemic, is now a multi-billion dollar product. So and we it'll be great. we have a great Thanksgiving work. offering from them. You bet. In the meantime, Ulta's doing quite well. But now there are things that you and I talk about that I have been uncertain about. One is that there had been, uh, you are very good to your employees. Congratulations for closing on Thanksgiving so they yeah. can be with their families. Absolutely. But we also can't have them be policemen. So you've had some theft that we know has gotten to you. It looks like that you're starting to get that down, which can really help in the end make gross margins be better. Well, Jim, this is an industry-wide issue, and we've certainly been upfront from a kind of our share of voice standpoint because we felt an obligation on behalf of the retail industry to make sure we got more focus at the federal, state, and local level. I'm really pleased with the progress that we've seen, and you know, Matt Shea at NRF and Brian Dodge at Riola have been great partners, but just in the last year, the federal level, the Inform Act has been passed. It's going to be make it a lot harder for these crime rings to monetize the items that they're stealing. We're seeing a lot of support from the Department of Homeland Security, and they're activating their offices across the country. And then retailers now are walking stores with local district attorneys. So there's a lot more focus. <laughs> wow. But I want to make sure it's clear, Jim, this isn't a target issue. This no. is a retail no, issue. No, that's a good point. But here's some target issues that I am concerned about. You had you hired 130,000 people for the holidays a few years ago. Now you're only hiring 100,000. Does that mean you're, you're concerned that it won't be a big holiday season? No. Actually, Jim, it's quite the opposite. One of the things that we've changed over the last couple of years is making sure our existing team gets access to those additional hours during the holiday season. So we want to make sure they get a chance to say, you know what, we want to work more hours. We okay. want to take advantage of the holiday season. And then we'll staff accordingly with seasonal team members. But we're geared up for the holiday season. We're leaning in, despite okay. the fact that our inventories were down 14%. Well, that also made me feel like, well, then you probably have some extra cash. You would. You had 460 million shares. You used to have 900 million shares if you go back to 2004. But you're not buying back stock. Well, that, to me, shows maybe you're not as confident about your stock. Oh, Jim, no, we are. But sitting in this environment today, we think it's appropriate to be cautious, to okay. make sure we preserve cash. We want to make sure we're investing in our business. You'll see that continue into 2024 and beyond. And we want to make sure that dividend we pay is something that our shareholders can count on quarter after quarter. All right, that's fair enough. I do, uh, you know, the reason I'm concerned is because I always like the target dividend, I like the buyback, I like the package. Right now, I know I'm getting the good dividend, and there's absolutely no problem with that. I know you care about the, the uh, balance sheet, which is absolutely terrific. But is it possible that given what you said about the consumer, that we could see down comps for another year, Brian? Yeah. Jim, we are laser focused right now on restoring top line growth. Now, this is an okay. important okay. step forward. We said in 2023, we've got to make sure we're storing profitability. And, you know, we've grown our profits by a billion dollars in the first okay. three quarters. That okay. was actually our full year objective. So 
We want to make sure we're improving the bottom line. Okay. But category by category, from both a store standpoint and a digital standpoint, we are focused on restoring traffic and growth to our business. All right. Well, if, if that's the case, then tell me what you're restoring the traffic to. What are people excited about? Give me some ideas for Thanksgiving. Give me some ideas for the holidays. Yeah. Jim, it comes back down to the combination of great newness, and we're going to have 10,000 new items in our assortment. The power of our own brands and affordability. And if we were walking our store today, you'd see that great combination of some of our unique own brands. Whether like it's Figment? Like Figment. Tell me kitchen. about that, because it seems intriguing. Well, it's a great new own brand, Jim. And you know, we've got great brands at home like Threshold. We have billion we've dollar brands. Great partnerships like Hearth and Hand with Chip and Joe. Right. But Figment is off to a fabulous start. And again, it's an important reminder that consumers are still looking for those great discretionary items. So great style, great quality, at an amazing value. And we're seeing that brand get off to a great start. Well, look, I got to tell you, when I saw the stock today, here's what I said. I said to myself, I can't wait to see Brian, because to me, Target's back. But then I don't want to insult him because he never went away. But the fact is, this was the resilient, strong Target that people want to invest in. And I think, it was a, I think this was a point of demarcation. Stop me. You know I'm bullish on Target. Tell me, yeah. Jim, no, you're just you're going too far. Because well, otherwise, I'm going to say even up 19, people should buy Jim, it. Jim, you know I'm bullish on Target. And we're playing the long game. I mean, sitting here today, we're $30 billion bigger than we were pre-pandemic. And importantly, our traffic has grown by 20%. So and yet your stock versus then? You know, kind of. Well, we've got to deliver consistent results quarter after quarter, both on the top and bottom line. We've got to get back to playing our game, investing in our stores, our digital assets, investing in our brands, extending those partnerships. You talked about Ulta Beauty. You know, we have over 500 Ulta's inside of Target. Right. We'll keep expanding. I know, I know from then that the sales good. Last yeah. question that I have is, uh, you are still committed to the inner city. You, you, I know you did have to close some, and there were theft issues, but you are still committed. Jim, we're right here in New York City. Think about how far we've come. When you and I first started talking, this is my 10th holiday season. I know. We didn't have a presence in Manhattan. We've got 12 stores now. We just opened up a new one in Union Square. People raving. Those stores are part of the community. So we are very committed to those stores. We're committed to growing our store base. We like to open stores. We opened 21 this year. You'll see us continue to open up both smaller stores, but actually full-size stores as we go forward. So we're going to continue to invest in our business. We're here to grow and provide great returns for our shareholders. And you know I'm playing the long game, and I'm as bullish on target as you are. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want. That's Brian Cornell. Chairman and CEO of Target, this stock deserved to be up, and I got to tell you, it's not done going higher. Thank you, Brian. Everybody's back in for the break. Coming up, has a strong demand for data defense driven this stock to a state of security? Palo Alto reports, and Kramer's got the CEO next. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
All right, what do we make of this quarter from Palo Alto Networks, the best of breed cybersecurity operator? It's been a huge winner for my charitable trust until this evening. While the stock got clobbered after hours, maybe be wrong to assume that management said business is doing badly. In fact, Palo Alto beat expectations almost every line for the reported quarter, could a 22 cent earnings beat off the $1.16 basis, even as billings, I think, did come in light. Problem was the guidance, but even there, mainly the billings guidance that disappointed. Management explained that this was a technical result based on how the company accounts for customers that need financing to pay for their orders. When the conference called, they stressed that this is not a demand problem. Made me feel better about the situation, but I have to admit I'm confused. That's why we need to dig deeper with Nikesh Arora, the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks, find out more. Mr. Arora, welcome back to Mad Money. How should we be feeling about these numbers? Thank you for having me, Jim. Uh, I'm surprised to hear you're confused. You're never confused. Uh, Jim, uh, we had a great quarter. Uh, we beat almost every metric that was out there. Phenomenal profitability, phenomenal revenue growth in a market that is extremely volatile. I think the market is getting marginally spooked by the fact that we adjusted billings guidance down. I think it's important to understand. Look, our business is a hybrid of ACV and TCV, or people who pay annually and people who pay us up front over three years. And as the interest rate environment continues to stay higher for longer, we're noticing that customers want to have longer conversations around when they will pay us and whether we should finance them or not. And that just this cosmetically impacts the billings number, and hence the market's getting confused. But there's nothing to be confused about. There is tremendous demand out there. Cybersecurity attacks are unfortunately going up. We've never seen a quarter as, as active as Q1 for us in the last three months, where people are seeing more attacks. We've never seen more customers sitting down and trying to derive platformization strategies. So the demand function is strong. Our revenue forecast has not changed. Our profit, profitability forecast has gone up. So from our perspective, we had a great well, quarter and the, the prospects but are bright. Nikesh, that would mean that the people who are selling the stock down 20 points simply don't understand how business is and are making a big mistake. At the same time, the crowd is rarely as wrong as that. And I think some people feel that this was just a light number and that you have some problems, say, with uh, with firewall business that are similar to Fortinet. And that what really is going on here is, is that it's just getting harder and harder to close deals in a business that it shouldn't be because it's cybersecurity. Well, I think, uh, Jim, we should we should parse that a bit more. Uh, we have been very consistent in the last 12 to 18 months saying that we expect that the hardware business, the product business out there is growing at 0 to 5%. Right. We did 3% growth. We've been very consistent. There are people out there who show larger numbers and are going to show smaller numbers. We stayed down the middle. We managed to make sure that we manage our price hikes, we manage our supply chain, we manage our backlog in such a way that we can consistently deliver that. So I don't think the hardware woes of other people in our industry are pertinent to us. I think from a customer deal perspective, as I said, we, we have the ability to finance deals. We have $7 billion of cash on our balance sheet, so we can finance deals. I'm telling you, we don't have customers who are saying we don't want to do business. It's just that they negotiate payment terms. And here's an interesting metric. Our duration has gone down this quarter from last quarter, which means our deals are shorter. When deals are shorter, you get lower billings. Doesn't mean there are less deals in the market. You're still doing the same amount of business, saying, and my churn is low, so I don't mind if a customer says, I'll sign up for one year, I'll come back later. I'm like, no problem. Well, You'll be there next well, year. I have an idea. Okay, so you, I see you bought back $67 million worth of shares last quarter, $227. You've got gigantic amount of cash. Maybe this is the opportunity to show the people who are just throwing their stock away because they do not understand what you just said, that, you know what? Here, sell it to me. I got all the capital. You went out of my stock. I think that's terrific. I don't want you as my shareholder if you don't understand what I'm doing. 
Well, Jim, we have an evergreen uh, stock buyback approval from our board in the vicinity of a billion dollars. And our treasury team is very diligent about how they look at the market and they will opportunistically see uh, when they believe that we should be in the market and they'll do what, the, what, what is needed. Fair enough. Okay, so let's talk about the threats. Uh, we've got, by the way, we have uh, President Xi here right now. I mean, I, does that mean that China's not uh, not a threat because he's here? And how about what's going on in the Middle East? I mean, it would seem to be that the, this is the greatest disruption. And then tell me what happened at Clorox. Tell me what happened at the casinos. Because it seems to me that, I mean, I would pay you anything if I ran a business right now and I was worried about cybersecurity. Well, Jim, all I will tell you is that the cyber activity is so high that we're, we got the most number of calls to our incident response team in the last month than we've ever had at Palo Alto Networks. And we're not the biggest player in incident response. So I can only imagine what some of our other uh, peers in the industry are seeing from an incident response activity. Yesterday, we announced a program that for our top 2,000 customers around the world, we will give them free incident response if they get attacked. Call us, you're a customer of ours, we'll come and help you, we'll worry about how to deal with the economics later. So it's free for the first 250 hours because we want to go support our customers because we think the activity is bad and it's going to get worse. So for that's why I'm saying the demand function is there. There are people out there who are getting breached. We have to be there for them as their partner of choice. Would you ever make that same deal to people who don't, who aren't using you, but realize that perhaps they're not as good a vendor and they'd rather be with you from now on? Well, you know, we will not we will not not return every phone call. So if people call us, we'll be there for them. And if they're not a customer, we'll figure out a way to help them for sure. Now, what we hear about these situations where there are help. This is something that 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 Topkin told me. Octa, you've got these people at the companies. They all want to help clients. They all want to help each other, and they give away information freely that they shouldn't. What can Palo Alto do about people who just don't understand that you can't just help everybody anymore? Well, we can't solve for people who are not going to pay attention to how they need to be confidential about their data. But what we can do is we can work with most of our large customers and partners out there and prospects out there in making sure they have a robust cybersecurity strategy, a strategy that is connected to their technological evolution strategy, make sure that they are not going to be out there and easily attacked. We'll make sure that if they do see activity, we'll be there to support them. We have various services. We have services where we'll help monitor their environment with them. So they don't have to get the complex. We can take the complexity out of it from them. We have partners across the industry now with many system integrator companies out there, which we can partner with, who will actually do that work with us for them. So there's tons of opportunities. I think the important part to understand is that as we go through this technological evolution, as we start paying more and more attention to AI, we're going to have more and more threat vectors show up. We see adversaries using AI now to attack customers. So this is happening. It's real time. People need to get their technology stacks up to speed, more robust, more in the next generation. That's something we all have to do across the board. All right, one last question. Otherwise, we won't be successful with AI. Understood. One last question. Going forward, should we not be focused on billing? Should you just say point blank, that is not representative. This is the way we have to start thinking about if we're going to understand how to value Palo Alto. Well, Jim, look, in the end, what you care about is EPS and cash flow. Yes. EPS is a consequence of revenue that you deliver, and cash flow is the consequence of what's left over after you've spent everything that you need to spend. We have shown the biggest collection of cash this quarter, one point, close to $1.5 billion. We have shown revenue growth north of 20%. We are, our EPS, we have shown operating margin of 28.4%, which is a 760 basis point improvement from last year. So we are hitting all the profitability and cash flow metrics in the market. Billings is an indicator of revenue in the future. And the better indicator of revenue in the future is RPO, 
remaining performance mm -hmm. obligations, which we grew at 26%. I absolutely agree so with you. That's how I've It doesn't take a math wizard I, to figure out that, what's going I've on. learned that in the last two years, so perhaps I'm a little less confused after I've been speaking to you. Fair enough? Thank you. That's Nikesh Arora, Chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks, PANW. The stock is down. You just heard another version of what people are doing and selling off of. Maybe they're making a mistake. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, more from today's top tech movers. Cisco checks in fresh off earnings. Next. What the heck just went wrong at Cisco to send the stock plummeting after hours trading? Cisco reported solid quarterly results tonight, but the guidance was not pretty, both for the current quarter and the full fiscal year. Nearly every major line is expected to be lighter than what the analysts are expecting. Cisco is talking about 12.6 to 12.8 billion in revenue. Stream is looking for 14.2. How do you explain these numbers? Normally, I'd be tempted with Cisco down this much, but just say we got to be buyer here. But maybe we got to find out what's behind the grim forecast. Maybe there's more to it. Let's take a closer look with Chuck Robbins. He's a straight shooting chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems who comes on the show in good times and bad. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Mid Money. Well, thank you, Jim. It's good to be here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for being on, Chuck. And I'm just going to put it to you straight. Uh, did you experience some sort of slowdown in customer demand that has caused you to be able to, what I think, deliver a pretty substantial guidance cut? Yeah, Jim, what we saw during the quarter, and uh, this was it, it did surprise us. Uh, as we exited last quarter, we saw a lot of momentum from an orders perspective in the last week of the quarter, actually outperforming the opening forecast that week by a few hundred million. So we felt really good going into the quarter. But as we got into the quarter, we, we came to the conclusion quickly that because of all the inventory that we have shipped into our largest customers, we, we have a problem where they have not been able to consume all of that technology. And we have really unloaded over the last six months. We, our backlog is now back to normal. Uh, we've shipped billions of dollars more than what we normally would have sent to our customers. And uh, we've seen the issue exist in our service provider customers before now, but it, it moved over into the large enterprise. And so that's really what's contributed to the uh, slowdown in orders, which led to the guidance that you referenced. Okay, so let's figure out what can happen. We now know what could go wrong. Uh, and you were very straightforward about that cut. But Scott Hearn, straightforward CFO, did say on tonight's call that you and I'm quoting here, expect to see product order growth rates accelerate in the second half of the year. Why should we think that that's the case? Because if that is the case, at 45, 46, 47, where I see the stock trading, that's a different story. Well, Jim, what we see and what we've heard from our customers and some of the analytics that we've done relative to, you know, how long it's taken between when we ship a product and when it actually connects back to the cloud, we actually know that it's taken one to two quarters longer than what it has taken historically. So we think there's one to two quarters worth of inventory sitting with our customers right now. So we believe in the second half of the year that our teams are forecasting it, uh, that uh, we will reaccelerate the growth. And if you think about the opportunities ahead of us, What's going on in artificial intelligence, the security opportunity, hybrid work, the multi, all the multi-cloud use cases and rebuilding of applications. And then we have the, the Splunk acquisition on the horizon. So there's a lot of positives for us as we enter the second half of the year. Now, I know that one of the things that I was hoping you'd be able to get into was uh, work with, with Jensen Wong and NVIDIA because he bought a company called Mellanox. And I think to some degree it competes with you. If I want to see Cisco in AI, I have to believe that you have something with Jensen. 
Well, you, you have talked about this for a while that uh, you thought that would be good. So uh, Jensen actually uh, approached me a few weeks ago and we had a 90-minute call yesterday, a 90-minute meeting yesterday here at our headquarters in San Jose. Uh, he brought four or five of his execs. I had the same on our side. And what we really see is that the combination of their technology, their GPUs and DPUs and other components and their software stack combined with our network infrastructure we can build some integrated solutions that will help the enterprise actually consume AI more simply. And so building that stack and then candidly leveraging our go-to-market scale and our partner organization is a, is a big uh, opportunity for all of us. So we spent some time yesterday, our engineering teams are back together tomorrow, and I think you'll hear more about these solutions as we uh, move through the coming weeks. See, I'm torn because I, you know I obviously like that because you need to be in that stack, but I also yeah. think that Splunk will make your company so different that I don't want people to sell for a quarter and then buy back a quarter later because Splunk will almost be closed. Now, Splunk is a cash deal. That could be closed uh, probably in the spring of next year. Well, we think worst case, it's going to be in the September time frame. But uh, we we did this week on Monday, the uh, the Hart Scout Rodino time frame expired. So we've effectively passed the antitrust uh, scenario in the United States. We still have other approvals to get from around the world. So, uh, you know, it could be sooner than we expected. And we do believe that uh, you know, in the security space and in the observability space, that the combination of our assets are going to really create a lot of value for our customers. I think it's going to be very good for our customers. I think we're going to be able to help them identify threats uh, and predict and prevent threats more effectively and uh, and also understand what's going on in their infrastructure as it relates to application performance and things of that nature. So we're excited about the opportunity. We're excited about uh, the combination, and we look forward to working through the approvals. Is there any way to, to look at what happened with your uh, margins, at your, your forecast for margins, and say, you know what, maybe things are weaker in technology than we realize? Maybe the hyperscalers aren't doing as well? Because we just went through the quarter. I, I thought they were doing pretty darn well. Well, the hyperscalers... Um, relative to working with us is we have a very well-defined order time frame. We understand their plans. They know how long it takes for our products to be delivered. We basically cut our lead times by two and a half times uh, in the last, say, four or five months. So uh, they now are planning on a much shorter time frame than they had to before. Uh, and so we believe they'll crank back up after the first of the year. Uh, we have good visibility with them because obviously, much like the service providers and the telcos that we've worked with for so long, they plan for a multi-year deployments. And uh, so we're excited about the opportunity there. And we, uh, we're, we are now in three of the four uh, largest web scale players in the U.S. with our networking technologies underneath their artificial intelligence GPUs. So uh, we feel good about our position there. And why don't you tell me about, uh, I've always felt that hybrid work is a big tailwind for you. Is it still, or, or is that going away? No, it still is. We saw, uh, we saw strength with our collaboration devices, and, and obviously hybrid work is more than just collaboration, but uh, it's, it's all about networking and security and the home office becoming a branch. And so it's a, it's a big opportunity for us. We see you know, customers having to re re-architect their infrastructure relative to the multi-cloud traffic patterns and the mobile worker. You got hybrid work, you've got application re-architecture, you have sustainability, which is a big driver for us. And then obviously cybersecurity and the re-architecture of their cybersecurity uh, strategy 
relative to all these changes, uh, all of those are opportunities for us, which is why we're optimistic about the future. All right. Well, let's leave it at that, Chuck. And I think you have to see this stock settle in. Obviously, it's a little bit jarring. Uh, but 2024 has got a lot of good things in the pipe. So thank you so much, Chuck Robbins, chair and CEO of Cisco. Chuck, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. May have money be back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Chris Benson, Rafa, we're going to see Miss Locker, so we're going to go to the local school. We're going to play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Peter in Connecticut. Peter. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. I just want to give a quick shout out to my 99 year old grandfather, Nick, in Rochester. So I'm calling in for him tonight. Uh, Asking about the stock CCJ. You know, look, I have been, uh, you know, I have come around to the idea, not that there's going to be nuclear uh, reactors built, but that people like to invest in uranium. So that is the highest quality uranium play. Let's go to Larry in New York. Larry. Yeah. Hi, Jim. Thanks hey, Larry. for making my call. Of course. Uh, some time ago, you interviewed the CEO of H&R Block. Long time ago. The stock was 25 I took a position, and since then it's 85% and still trades at less than a market multiple. What are your thoughts now? Well, you know, I like Intuit, but this has been, you're absolutely right, it's an inexpensive stock. You did the right thing. I'd actually defer to you. I think you made a great call, and I, I would stick with it. You've got the, I, I think you've got the, uh, the right way to look at it. Let's go to Tom in North Carolina. Tom. Greetings from Greensboro, North Carolina, Jim. Thanks for okay. taking my call. Of course. For my IRA account, I like looking at a company whose stock has taken a little bit of a beating and take a look at it and see, was it a knee-jerk reaction or is it an indicator of some problem in business fundamentals? Okay. And in the case of driven brands, they seem to have solid cash flows and a good growth trajectory for sales. And I was wondering what your thoughts are. It's just are. a very, you're talking about a very, uh, automotive services is very hit or miss. That's why I've always believed in AutoZone, AZO, because it does a buyback. That is the most aggressive New York Stock Exchange and gives me the comfort that I need. Let's go to Steve in Florida. Steve. Hi, Jim. A big thank you to you and Jeff for an informative club meeting today. Oh, thank uh, you. That was a hard one. Jeez. Thank you. My portfolio has dramatically improved with your helpful advice ah, and knowledge. Thank you. thank you. I have owned uh, Albert's shares since seven dollars. I do I hold on to it for the proposed thirty-four ten per share buyout, or do uh, I? I don't even know if that run? if they walk away from that deal. I don't even if the government blocks that deal. I don't even know if the stock goes down anymore. Frankly, I think you're okay with that one. Let's go to Jim in Delaware. Jim. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, uh, got a Philly uh, sports fan here with you. Uh, Go at birds. this point in my life, I'm uh, looking, starting to look more for some income stocks. Okay. Uh, pretty heavy uh, weighted in the high tech. Uh, I came across this uh, British oil tanker uh, company, and uh, it's called uh, Torm. T O. Yeah, it's got a very big yield, but I think that yield maybe put it under the quality, uh, under the character of uh, too good to be true. I think you got to stick with something like a one oak, which has a very realistic yield and will be there uh, for the ages. Let's go to Thomas in Georgia, please. Thomas. 
Hey, Jim. Thanks uh, today for the call. Thank you. Oh, thank you. you and Jeff for all the hard work. Yeah, Jeff is unbelievable. He's so good. How can I help you? Yeah. So in keeping with today's Hold'em or Fold'em theme, uh, I'm sitting on an unrealized loss in Roblox. What do you think about the long-term prospects? I thought this was the first good quarter in a long time. I think Dave Buzuki handled himself very well, and I just believe that, you know what, this is not the time to sell Roblox. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up. Kramer shares a business lesson that never goes out of style. Cash flow and Christmas memories when Mad Money returns. When I was a little boy, I used to go to The Place, which is what my dad called his warehouse slash office for international packaging products. The name he gave for his distinctly non-international operation in Old City, Philadelphia, back when it was the warehouse section of a rundown town. This time of year was make or break for him because he'd order Christmas wrapping paper for all the mom and pop stores in the Philly area, sending all the way to Wilmington and Atlantic City. Oh, it was pure joy for me because Christmas paper came in these great big rolls that were much taller than I was. And Pop let me knock them over and build forts with them. What I didn't know was that every year Pop had to make a judgment about how much business would be done at all the men's stores, ladies' dress emporiums, and the barber stores he sold his stuff to. He didn't know if it would be a good Christmas or a bad Christmas. But the paper was mostly adorned with various Santa themes, and it would make any store owner proud. High-quality stuff. There wasn't much differentiation between these solo stores and major department stores like Gimbel's, where he once sold gabardine trousers and was ignominiously fired after returning for the war, or Litz, where my mom once sold lingerie. The way these stores could distinguish themselves was through gift wrapping, and Pop sold everything from the paper to the scotch tape to the sashine ribbon from 3M and tied it all together. Oh, Pop was brilliant at so many things. He loved John Milton, Paradise Lost Guy, and Milton Cross, who presided over the Texaco Radio Hour of Metropolitan Opera on Saturdays when I went to work with him. He used to constantly count the rolls after I knocked them over, setting them up again and again. I couldn't figure out why I could count them. Only long after, when I took an economics class in college, did I realize he counted them because he didn't pay for the rolls directly. He borrowed money to buy this merchandise. Or as I learned when I, too, owned my own business, he financed them. I always wondered what was the big deal. If he had too much Christmas paper, couldn't he just use it again next year? I didn't realize that's not how it works. Just sitting on this stuff for 12 months is expensive. The business didn't have the money on hand to pay for the finance charges, which were really high back then, something I didn't understand either. What I did understand were the clock wars, meaning would mom be really angry at pop because he left a five spot under the West Clock alarm clock instead of a 10. The five meant hamburger and watered down grape juice. The 10 meant chicken and real Welch's. Now I look back and I realize that my dad wasn't selling Christmas paper. He was selling the equivalent of Enphase Energy Home Solar Systems. He was selling Generac generators. That wasn't Santa Claus. It was Sunrun, a company that nominally a residential solar power play. But really, it's a financing story, just like Generac. That's a financing story, okay? These were the same way that Pop's gift wrap business was a financing story. You needed to borrow money. So much money has been lost by investors believing that these solar companies were actually solar plays and not just financing plays where few of the buyers paid in cash. In the end, these residential solar stocks have more in common with car dealerships than anything else except for perhaps Pop's Christmas paper. As I always tell members of the investing club, know what you own. 
Pop didn't truly own international packaging products. The creditors did. And gift wrap can last until next year, but only if you don't go broke paying the finance charges in the interim, just like so many of the solar devices that people tried to buy. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 